Good afternoon, everybody. Um, you join us at a time when I think the world's been, well, certainly the, the Google world has been uh, a hit. So both Harriet and ourselves are experiencing some technical difficulties. So please do bear with us. And uh, Harriet also um, doesn't have camera um, usage at the moment. So apologies. She is there though, Harriet. So if you'd like to join us. Hi, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Richard. No, good to see you. Well, no, <laughs> good to hear you. Good to hear you. <laughs> So, um, so you've been you've been struck down by this uh, Gmail curse as well. Yes, yeah. Just a few minutes ago, I was doing an intro with a new team member, and then uh, everything's kind of stopped working. It really does show you how much you rely on these kind of uh, systems to do your day job, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so where are you from, Harry? Detecting a bit of South African there. Are you going to tell me you're from Didcot or something now, aren't you? Uh, yeah, you know what? I get I get Australian every now and then. I think I lived in the States for a few years and I've picked up this kind of uh, strange uh, international accent that goes a little bit Aussie every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent. So AstroScale, I mean, it looks, looks um, fascinating. Um, when it, I was saying off camera before we, before we went live that um, space is, is not uh, something I'm too familiar with in terms of the ins and outs and, and how everything works up there. But I've got this um, vision that uh, you're basically a Grundon for the skies. Maybe you can <laughs> a little, little bit more, a bit more detail, a bit more uh, expertly about what you do. And a little yeah. bit more background as well, Harriet, because it'd be good to find out where you've come from um, other than Australia and the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, sure thing. Um, yeah, so so at Astroscale, we are, we are laser focused on space sustainability. And so it, it's one of those issues that I guess doesn't necessarily cross people's minds on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but in the same way that, you know, we look to protect the environment in a, on Earth, uh, the space environment is, is just as important and, and perhaps this latest Google meltdown is a good example of how much we rely on a satellite enabled technology. So we have, you know, a few thousand satellites orbiting the Earth right now and they're providing us with services that range from uh, global communications, navigation, uh, supporting weather forecasting or financial transactions. Uh, a huge amount of our, our economy and livelihood relies on satellite technology. Um, and, and, and so one of the things that we, we recognize that is really important is to make sure that we're protecting the environment in which those satellites are operating in, in the same way that we would look at uh, protecting our oceans or, or our atmosphere through, through the prevention of climate change. It's something that's a little bit further afield. It, it may be a little bit harder to relate to than other environmental challenges that we see on Earth. Um, but as I mentioned, we have a few thousand uh, active satellites that are orbiting the Earth, but an order of magnitude, uh, more pieces of debris that are orbiting in the same vicinity as well. So this can be anything from a you know, tiny fragment, a fleck of paint that might have tipped off the International Space Station, to a failed satellite the size of a double-decker bus. So we have these satellites orbiting in these uh, increasingly congested environments, which are posing a direct risk to all of those satellite services that we rely on in our everyday life. So at Astroscale, what we're looking at doing is, is ad addressing this orbital environment challenge by looking at ways that we can uh, remove pieces of debris from orbit. So we really recognize that this is a kind of a global environmental challenge that is going to require us to 
develop innovative technology and do things that have never been done before. So being able to go up into space and safely remove pieces of debris uh, from orbit. Also recognize that this is a policy challenge, right? So we've got to work together um, with uh, international agencies, governments across the world to create a sustainable culture within the space community. Um, and we've also got to create commercially viable business cases to support these efforts as well. So it's all very well having a, a great technology, but you've got to make sure that it demonstrates value to uh, potential customers and we can find ways to uh, incentivize uh, the use of debris removal services in the future. So that's a very high level overview, I think, of, of the problem and, and what we're trying to do. Um, Way over my head, Harriet, uh, but um, I, I think I've, I've got a better handle on it. Thank you. <laughs> no, that's that's great. And and one of the really exciting things about AstroScale is, you know, we're an inherently global company. So our headquarters are in Japan, mm -hmm. in Tokyo, but we also have offices in uh, the US, Israel and uh, also the UK. So the UK is our center for our national in-orbit servicing facility. So we have an in-orbit demonstration that's going to be launching into space uh, in March of next year. Um, and that's going to be operated from our UK control center. It's going to be licensed uh, through the UK Space Agency. Um, and we have a whole team of, of engineers in the UK who are looking at developing future services um, uh, out of our uh, Harwell office as well. So it's, it's a very exciting place to be. And, and so in terms of, you say you're a global company, but I mean, what sort of competition is there in this particular space? Are, are you on your own or are there loads of other companies that you're competing with? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think Astroscale is, is very much leading the way on this, both as recognizing and advocating for space sustainability to be an issue that needs to be taken seriously, uh, but also demonstrating the technology to, to back it up, to be able to solve the problem. So um, I, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but our uh, ELSA-D mission, which stands for End of Life Services by Astroscale Demonstration, uh, is going to be launching next year. And this is going to be the world's first commercial demonstration of debris removal technology. So we're going to be launching two satellites at the same time and demonstrating under a number of different circumstances um, that we can safely identify, capture and safely remove uh, a failed uh, satellite from orbit. Fantastic. I'm, I'm, I was introduced to you by uh, your operations director, uh, Sharon Parker-Lyons, who's joined us this afternoon uh, on this webinar. Um, she said it'd be fascinating to, to find out about you personally, your background, because without, uh, and, and I can't ask you your age, maybe you can, <laughs> but um, how have you come to be in the position you're in? Because you, you can't be long out of university. Give us a bit of background on, on you. Yeah, that, that's very kind of uh, Sharon to say. Uh, I mean, I, I have to be honest, I'm not sure anyone grows up wanting to be a space sweeper, right? Uh, that's perhaps not the most traditional uh, career path full stop. Um, but for me, it was, it was uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess I kind of got lucky with, with working at Astroscale. So um, I studied maths at, at university, uh, always loved space, but to be honest, didn't realize it was something that I, I could do as a career. I saw the space community as something that was restricted to rocket scientists and astronauts, neither of which particularly appealed to me at the time. Um, so I kind of resigned myself to thinking, okay, well, space is amazing, but this will just be a hobby that I can do on the side. Uh, went to work in finance, spent four years 
uh, working on uh, financial regulation and risk management, uh, which was very interesting, but I realized that it wasn't my, my passion. Um, and so I spent a year studying uh, astrophysics uh, in evening classes at the University of um, London, Queen Mary. Um, and really throughout that year realized that the, the space industry was much, much wider and broader than I had realized and appreciated before. Um, uh, and, and through a, a number of different initiatives, uh, met people who were you know, space lawyers or working in uh, finance in, in, in space companies, all these kind of career options that I'd, I'd never really considered before. Uh, which kind of just blew my mind. And, and at that point, I was like, well, you know, if all of these things exist and this is what I'm really passionate about, um, maybe I should find a way to, to get involved in this. And so uh, did a little bit of a career 180, uh, moved to California, which is where I got my quirky accent, I guess, mm -hmm. um, and spent a year studying planets at the California Institute of Technology. Uh, and, and that was really extraordinary for a number of reasons. One, just being able to learn more about the, the space environment and the space ecosystem, um, but also being in Los Angeles, which has got a fantastic um, space industry um, and community, learning more about the, the commercial space industry uh, and the variety of roles in there. Um, and it was as I was looking at returning to the UK, I discovered the opportunity at Astroscale. Um, and uh, I guess I've been incredibly fortunate with the, the role I have at Astroscale now, um, leading the business analysis team, looking at how we can uh, bring together, I guess, some of my finance and, and business experience and combining that with a, an industry that I'm, I'm very passionate about. So that was perhaps a long winded story, but no, <laughs> it summarizes where I got how I got to, to be here. No, it's, it's great to get that insight. And I hope you don't mind. I'm, I'm showing um, your website and so, so people don't have to look at me because we're on camera. But if there's anything on your site that um, I can I can point to to sort of maybe help illustrate further what Astroscale does, then uh, please do, do point me in that direction. And if anybody that's joined us um, for the webinar would like to ask um, Harriet a question, please do um, put your question in the chat or, or, or come on screen and, and ask because um, I'm, I'm sure Harriet would be delighted to hear from you. Um, with any questions that you may have and perhaps Sharon might even join us at, at some point as well even though she's probably hating me for even mentioning that she's with us but uh, there you go so have, have you got some um, ambitions to I mean I'm, I'm watching something on Netflix at the moment called Away which is about a mission to um, mission to Mars and you probably watch these programs and uh, and shudder at the um, accuracy of them I don't know how how much work they have to do into making them, I suppose they have to be as believable and as realistic as possible, but have you got any ambitions to uh, to, to go into space? Oh, that's, that's a good question. I have to be honest, probably not for me. I'm not the biggest fan of flying, so I feel like going into space would would, would not do much for my, uh, for my slight aversion of flying. Uh, but I do love watching sci-fi movies, and I, I, I love what you said about, you know, seeing these sci-fis on Netflix and the like because I think there's something really special about space space and that it really captures people's imagination um, in a way that, um, that I guess is kind of unique uh, to the space sector and so it's, it's a real kind of privilege to be able to you know spend my day job working on space related efforts and, and then be able to see the, the kind of imaginary future that we might be able to facilitate in the future. Well, they, they let a hammer go last night, and I'm sure that will uh, be coming into your 
uh, into your sphere of consciousness at some point. So <laughs> you can clear that one up for us. So, I mean, rockets and stuff like that, when they go up, I presume all of that, or everything that they jettison gets burned up um, in the Earth's atmosphere, or does that become part of the debris as well? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So, yeah, we often think, you know, more about space debris being either tiny fragments or pieces of satellites that, that might have failed or, or fragmented. Um, but the upper stages of rockets also contribute to the debris population as well. Um, there was a, a paper that was published recently by a, a researcher in the US, Darren McKnight, who put pulled together a kind of a top 50 hit, hit list of the riskiest objects in space um, right now. Um, I'll, I'll try and find a link to that um, uh, that, uh, that article, but it's very interesting. And, and one of the things that was really uh, kind of struck me with that is the the vast majority of those riskiest objects are large rocket upper stages. So these aren't necessarily satellites. They are these essentially giant fuel tanks that are, you know, thousands of kilos in size. They're very big objects and they're floating around at high altitudes, which means that any potential collision between them and another object would have catastrophic consequences for, uh, for the orbital environment. And, and in terms of um, the chances of, of these sorts of things, landing here um what would you what would you say to, to avert our concern about that sort of thing happening <laughs> oh you mean things crashing down on the earth exactly yeah yeah so um yeah great question i mean this this does happen on a i guess infrequent basis so uh, the vast majority of, of pieces of space debris will burn up and completely disintegrate in the atmosphere mm -hmm. right yeah. Um, so, so, you know, we, we wouldn't expect most things to, to end up crashing back down to Earth. There are, you know, for substantially larger objects, um, they may end up surviving re-entry. Uh, for those larger objects, typically they have a controlled re-entry process. So they have, uh, you know, ways to basically direct where it's going to go. And there's a, a corner of the Pacific Ocean called the Satellite Graveyard where um, operators tend to point and hope that's where they end up. So you, you, you work in partnership with them? <laughs> uh, that, that's slightly different to what we're doing at Astroscale. But uh, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's good to know that operators are thinking about um, uh, deorbiting safely and avoiding large cities, that's for sure. Well, we've got a question from Nicola. Nicola, I don't know whether you want to join us on the screen if you're happy for me to ask your question for you. Um, but uh, if you'd like to come on screen, then, then please do do so. Do so. Otherwise, uh, oh, she's there. Yeah, fantastic. Hi, hi Nicola. Hi. Thank you for joining us. No, thank you. Yes, no, I was just um, really good, really pleased to hear your back background then. Um, just because I have a, a very young son, he's only six, but he's he's just become obsessed with space in the last few months. Um, and like in terms of looking at uh, videos online and he knows all the dwarf planets, he's talking about all these moons and galaxies that I've never heard of. And so I was just wondering if you had any, any tips on places to visit or uh, resources that you can encourage that with because I, I do remember going to the, the London planetarium when I was younger but I don't even think that's there now so oh Nicola that's that's a great question and I'm so glad that your son is interested in space um 
I also did, I, I think it must have been like my 10th birthday party at the London Planetarium. So uh, that, that, was a f that was definitely a few years ago, but I, I yeah. remember it being a fab place. Um, there's a couple of other places I definitely recommend, which are fantastic. The first is the National Space Centre, which is in Leicester, uh, which okay. is absolutely fantastic. They have a, a whole range of exhibits and, and stories and talking through uh, the history of space exploration. Uh, and also the UK's role in, in, in space exploration as well, which is, which is really fantastic. Um, the, the other I'd recommend is um, going to Greenwich in, um, in yeah. London for the, the Royal Observatory. Um, yeah. So, so that, that's another place that, that personally I, I find is, is just fantastic. Um, so yeah, those would be the main things I'd yeah. recommend. And then just in terms of resources, um, Oh, let me have a think and I might try and, and okay. get back to you with some more okay. ideas. Um, but yeah, there, there's a whole host of uh, resources online in terms of, uh, you know, space facts, activities and, and things to engage kids in who, who have that interest. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Nicola, when it's when it's safe to do so, if you, if you can, I know it's not quite Greenwich, but um, if you can get over to Florida, I, I remember as a 10 year old, we went to um, the Kennedy Space Centre in Florida, and that was uh, that had a real lasting effect on me. It was fascinating. Yes. Um, I remember the space burgers as well. They were they were wrapped in silver foil. And, uh, that says more about my diet than anything. But uh, no, that was fantastic. So if you can, and if, if if it's possible, try and get that one in the diary at some point. I'm sure you. Yeah. Can that. Great. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Well, good to hear from you, Nicola. Does anybody have some any questions for um, Harriet at all? And and. Sharon, can we get you on, on just to say a few words about Harriet as well? It would be good to get your perspective. Here she comes. We've got a. I've managed yeah, to... sorry, I'm just trying to sort Google out. I was overjoyed oh. to hear. What, so... The whole thing. That's... <laughs> I was <laughs> overjoyed to hear that it wasn't just us because we're about to migrate over onto 365, and I was absolutely petrified that we'd done something to break it. But never mind. Um, no, I think, I mean, Harriet's absolutely perfect for doing things like this. I think the way that she describes us is, is um, absolutely fantastic. And I think what she does, and, and she's such a great role model. Um, and I think it's great, um, Harriet and I've been talking about getting her out into universities and into schools and actually just, you know, space is a career. People can um, work in space. And, um, you know, it was, it was never on my agenda at all but um, I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, I think if you're, in terms of looking at our website, I was just going to message you and say, if you can have a look at, um, at Elsa D on there, which is our- um, Yeah, the uh, program that Tara just mentioned. No, and about. Okay, yeah. I think, isn't it? Uh, maybe it's not. I'm trying to get rid of Google on my, on my screen to be able to do it. We've had a, just another quick, while, while you're- Services. And services okay just had another suggestion from andrea um from astroscale um the winchester science museum is great is a small planetarium and some small child-friendly movies for kids about space also the space store in didcot is cute they help arrange parties in normal times yeah so hopefully that hi there it's andrea here oh andrea hi thank you hi there 
Yeah, the um, the Winchester Science Centre is, is is good because it's it's really interactive generally about science, and um, and as I say, they have this planetarium on the side, which is is really small. It's like a small cinema, um, you know, in in its size, maybe I don't know, a couple of hundred places or slightly bigger. Um, but when we went there, I booked um, uh, for my kids to to watch this really nice animation about space. Um, and about sort of two aliens that lived on space, you know, traveled to outer space and, and traveled around space and things like that. And it was just a really nice kind of interactive, stimulating way of learning about space. So, um, yeah, so I think that's, that's, that's a really nice tip. And it's only down, you know, the A34 an hour or so. So it's not too far away. Fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you for coming on um, and, and giving us that extra insight. Um, Sharon, LCD, it's not... Is it on here? Yeah, uh, yeah. If you click, actually click on the. Yeah, sorry. End of life. Oh, end of life. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. We're up, up, up to speed with all your terminology. Yeah, I know. It's. It, it was. Oh, a there big, we go. Yeah. We go. So if you, I don't know whether Harriet, if you want to talk through this. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. So. Uh, this is going to be our, our demonstration mission that is launching next year. So we've got our launch date confirmed for March 2021, uh, which is really, really exciting. We are finishing up the, the testing and, and ready to ship the spacecraft to uh, Kazakhstan, where it's going to be launched uh, on a Soyuz rocket in, in March. Um, so you can see here an image of the Elsa D spacecraft. Um, this is what it looks like. Um, the uh, large uh, uh, gold um, kind of box, I'll say, um, at the bottom, that is our servicer craft. So that is our uh, Astroscale uh, servicer that is able to do the identification and capture of pieces of debris. Uh, and then the small silver box that you can see just on top of it that is the uh, target or the client. So that is essentially our uh, demonstration satellite um, that will separate from the ELSA vehicle itself. And then under a number of increasingly complex scenarios, we'll be able to demonstrate that we can find and capture um, that, uh, that target. So you can see here on the screen, this is what we call the uh, mission CONOPS or the concept of operations. This is basically showing what is going to happen at each stage of the different um, phases of the mission. So as I said before, both of the satellites are going to launch together. Um, they will then uh, slowly separate from each other. And then we're going to do kind of three dances between each of the different satellites, between the two satellites, uh, and show that we can capture um, our, our client. Um, and each time we're going to make things a little bit more tricky, right? So the first time, we're going to have our, our client in kind of complete control. It's not going to be tumbling. We're going to know exactly where it is. Um, and then we're going to uh, demonstrate that we can capture that satellite. Uh, the next phase, we're going to release the two satellites again. And then we're going to start that target tumbling, right? So we're going to make it a little bit more tricky. Uh, and this time, what we have to use is the propulsion on each corner of our uh, servicing satellite to basically rotate around the target and match our rotation rate with the, uh, the tumbling of the target and show that we can still capture under that scenario. And that's one of the tricky things about capturing pieces of debris in space is, you know, th these things are moving around the earth at incredible speeds. Um, they can be tumbling uh, in, in any which way direction. And so being able to demonstrate that capability is really, really important.
And then the final stage of the mission, we're going to separate those two satellites again, but we're going to uh, kind of simulate losing the target. So we're going to um, essentially um, separate the two satellites and then rely on our onboard computers and cameras to identify where that client satellite has gone and, and show that we can still find it and capture it. Because again, when we're capturing pieces of debris uh, in future missions, uh, we might not know exactly where they are. And so knowing, uh, being able to use our onboard sensors and cameras is gonna be really critical. Um, and then the final point of the mission, which is really important to us because the last thing we wanna do is create any more debris in orbit is that we will uh, bring those satellites down to a lower altitude where they'll safely um, passivate and deorbit. So what's the sort of timescale for something uh, that, that, that sort of operation, Harriet? Yeah, that's a great question. So each of these phases in and of themselves can be reasonably quick. Um, so, you know, within a few hours to a few days in terms of the separation and the capture. Um, but the entire mission itself is likely to take place over a number of months. So obviously we're going to be taking time to make sure that both of the satellites work, that we can do a, a debrief, understand um, how things have gone after each phase of the mission. Um, so that'll, that'll give us a good chunk of time to be able to analyze the results and see what we can learn for the future. And, and how many, so just to give us an idea of sort of the normality of, of something like this. I know talking to Sharon um, earlier on this month, you know, you're taking a lot, a lot more staff at the moment. And in terms of man hours that would go into an operation like this and a number of people that are involved? Uh, yeah, great question. So in the UK and AstroScale, we have about 30 staff. And I think we are pushing about 120 globally. So, mm. um, well, I, I guess it depend, depends on what your benchmark is. But for a startup, we've definitely been growing very, very quickly over the last few years. Um, and we have a, a fantastic team of, of engineers in Japan who have been leading the, the design and the build of the satellite over in our Tokyo office. We've grown by 40% in, in the last, well, in these last 12 months. So during COVID, we've grown 40% as a global company. And uh, as operations director, Sharon, a lot of that falls on you, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I've got a great team. Uh, recruitment seems to be the... Um, the thing that we're focused on at the moment, I think we probably, since I've been there, we've probably done about 20 new recruits. Wow. So numbers have probably moved on a little bit from, from um, Harriet's um, numbers. But uh, yeah, it's a really exciting time. And, and, you know, just in general that we were talking about it this morning, it brings on additional um, challenges, if you like, in that we've already recruited 15 people during COVID. And what, you know, what does that mean to people who are sat at home and can't meet their colleagues face to face for the first time? And as good as Zoom or Google is, um, you don't get that third dimension to everything. I was talking to somebody who, who left the job and, and joined somebody else during lockdown. He said, basically, I shut one laptop and opened up another. So uh, mm. the experience now, which which isn't, isn't ideal, obviously, but... Uh, but, but thank you very much. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to mention, Harriet, but it's been uh, very insightful and, and very interesting finding out what you do and, and, and what you all do at AstroScale. And, and um, for, for people like Nicola that joined us for, for her son um, to, to get some insight and uh, to, to, for those that are interested in maybe joining or finding out more about AstroScale, you've obviously got your website. But if, if you were to advise somebody on a career in space, what, what would you say? 
Oh, that, that's a great question to end on, uh, Richard. Uh, yeah, so, so I, I would say, you know, don't limit your, your horizons and ambitions. So that was the thing that held me back for a number of years, not realizing the whole breadth of opportunities. I think if you have a passion for, for space and space exploration, there are a whole host of ways that you can explore that. So um, uh, yes, yeah, stay involved and uh, there, there's a place in space for everyone. I mean, over the last nine months, we've seen lots of industries starting to die, if not 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 being wiped out completely. So there'd be lots of people looking for employment opportunities, and you could only see um, the space uh, sector growing in terms of number of um, individuals um, being required. So uh, certainly a growing uh, sector. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, great, great to. Um, unfortunately, we didn't see you, but uh, thank you for joining us, Harry. It's been uh, so been, been fascinating, and and thank you also, Sharon, um, and to Andrea and Nicola for contributing as well. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you um, more in the future. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Richard, bye.